more conviction of the Holy Spirit, more transformation into the people you've called us to be, more looking like you, walking like you, loving like you, building this world like you do. Father, we want more of your peace, more of your joy, more of the filling of the Holy Spirit. We want more of those things this morning. And Lord, we look forward to hearing the word of God taught to us. Praise God that we have a copy of the word of God in our hands, in our language, that we can understand. We are a blessed people. Praise God for that. So we willingly, Lord, submit to the teaching of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit today. Teach us now. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's not where we'll be the whole time, but it's where we're going to start. And I would encourage you to take some notes today. I always encourage you to take notes, but there's just a lot of ground to cover today. So I've laid out most of it in your bulletin this morning. But these are things I really feel like over the next couple of weeks, you'll just have to sit before the Lord and let him speak and do a work in your life. Because these are heavy issues. These are really challenging topics that we're going to be talking about. But I, I want to start with just uh, a, a little uh, class participation this morning. Uh, so you get to be a part of this. Uh, I just have one question for you. And um, I, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and actually answer this, okay? So I, I just have a question. Uh, how many of you would, uh, love, would like to love life and see good days? Yeah, it's not a trick question, right? I think that's everybody. You, you, you would like your life to be characterized by the fact that I, I love life and I see good days. Now, that doesn't mean that all the circumstances of your life are going to go perfectly. It doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulty in your world. But the Lord is doing so many things in your life that even when you're waking up in the midst of difficulty, you're waking up in the morning excited about what the Lord has for you, excited about what he's doing in the kingdom, excited that you get to be a part of that. And even when you're facing the difficulties of life, what a lot of people would say are difficulties, you're actually seeing yourself thrive in those things. You're seeing your family thrive thrive in those things. You're seeing the Lord reveal things to you that you haven't known. You are loving life and seeing good days. Every one of us in here said that we want that. That that's something we would sign up for if we have a chance. I have good news for you. God actually lays out a prescription for us as followers of Christ so that we can actually experience those things. That we can love our life and that we can see good days. And I just want you to put a pin in that because you're going to see this in Scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to start this morning. If I hope you've had a chance on Wednesday nights to kind of follow along with our, our 1 Peter teaching. We're kind of going verse by verse each week. If you've been able to do that, then one of the themes that you know is cropped up in 1 Peter is this idea of contrast. Peter is challenging these young believers that there should be a contrast in how a follower of Jesus Christ lives in the world and how people of the world live in the world. That we should buy things differently. We should in, interact with each other differently. We should raise our families differently. We should love our wives and husbands differently. We should work in our workplace differently. And then he moves into things like this, that we should embrace suffering differently 
than people of the world do. That when difficulties come, we face them in new power, in a completely different way than the average person was who does not know the Lord. There should be a contrast. And what Peter challenges us is the contrast accentuates the gospel to the lost. Because when the lost see a contrast, then here's what happens. They look at their life, and they look at your life, and they look at the way you're navigating life, and they say to themselves, the way so-and-so is living and so-and-so is living because they follow Christ is so much better than the way I'm living. And I at least need to give some thought to the possibility that they may have a truth or an understanding of God that I don't have. And so it causes a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And hopefully it will push them to a church body. I hope it will push them to the word of God. But if our lives become attractional when there is a contrast. But when there is no contrast, we actually push people away from the gospel. And the reason that is is because if followers of Jesus Christ, people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, live like the world, why should the world want to be like us? They're, they're doing really good as they are, right? And if following Christ is just going to make them like us, then why bother? But when there's that contrast and the gospel goes forth in power, and I want to challenge us over the next couple of weeks because I think one of the greatest contrasts that we can make is how we use our tongues. How we use our mouths. Because now, within our culture, the way we are using our tongues and the things we are saying is escalating into, well, maybe descending into darker and darker places. I read an interesting book a couple years ago called Reclaiming Conversation, and it's by a woman named Shelley Turkle, and she was doing some long-term research on the effects of social media. And she was trying to see how it affected young people and how it affected our culture. And she was trying to research a different angle from the topic. But as she gathered information, she figured out something else that was coming out of the evidence. And so she ended up writing this book out of that stuff that she was learning out of the evidence. And this is what she was finding that our communication is moving away from face-to-face conversation. And this is all before the pandemic. So imagine it's probably multiplied in the last year because we don't like to talk to people like we used to, right? Like before the pandemic hit, you'd be okay talking to someone in line at Burger King or whatever else is, but now you want that six feet. You're not as up for talking with people face-to-face. But she was saying our culture is shifting away from face-to-face conversation, and we are moving more and more towards communicating by typing. Just written words. So that comes in the form of texting, or it comes in the form of, a messenger service like Twitter or maybe Facebook Messenger or whatever else it is, or we communicate by posting on our wall on Facebook or whatever other social media is, and we're moving away from actually face-to-face conversation. And she said, here is the danger of that. Here's how that has transformed our community and our culture. Back in the day when you were six years old and you were out playing with your buddy and you made fun of their shirt and you said, listen, I think that's the dumbest shirt I've ever seen in my entire life. Your buddy reacted to that comment. Now, whether you realize it or not, you picked up on the way his face changed, or maybe his eyes went down, or maybe his body language shrunk away a little bit, or maybe he swung at you, or whatever else it was. But you learned 
to read people's reaction for when you make a negative comment to them. And what that actually did as part of your growth as a young person and into young adulthood and into adulthood is you began to understand there are some things that you say that have a negative reaction on someone and it begins to be a restraint for you on saying negative things. Are you, are you following me? Like if I see it hurts somebody or if I, it leaves my sister in tears, then I'm, I'm not going to be as harsh next time. But she said, here's the problem. Because we don't interact with people face-to-face anymore, we don't read that anymore. And so because we text and we send something and we don't see someone's physical reaction, it trains us to actually be more harsh, more angry, more negative, and to not have a filter because we can't read people's reactions. You know, I think one of the best inventions uh, to come along in texting is emojis. And it's really good for me because uh, sometimes you write something out and you send it and then you're like, gosh, I wonder how they heard that, what tone they heard that in. So you got to dig through the emojis and make sure you shoot that emoji on there to make sure they knew you were joking or you're not mad or whatever else it is. But that's the best we got right now to communicate emotion when it comes to texting. I used to get emails and I, I, someone in the older generation, I'm not, I'm not knocking the older generation, but with emails, someone sent me an email one time that was all caps. And they didn't realize that in email land, that means you're yelling at me. I, when I talked to them about it, they were like, oh, well, I, I type everything on all caps. I was like, well, don't send emails on all caps, okay? You can send it to your pastor, that's fine, but you got to put that in lowercase or people th- and emails, people think you're, you're yelling at them. But because we've lost that, now our, our, our language and our words and our phrases and the way we communicate to each other is, is going down and down and down and getting harsher and meaner. And this is one area that as believers, we can draw a huge contrast to the culture. We get a chance to be a blessing in our culture in the way that we speak and talk. And what's amazing to me is I interact with folks, and especially on, on social media, one of the things that I, I run through my mind all the time is this. That person would never say it if they had to say it to that person's face. Like, you can say that about your congressman all you want to. If that congressman was standing right here in front of you, there is no way that you'd say what you just said on, on social media. In fact, if that congressman was there, you would probably rethink what you just said. Because you'll realize they're a human being that you may disagree with, but they're a human being that has feelings and that has a heart and has emotions and things like that. And no matter what they may project out there for you, that it bothers them. It has to. Just being human, it bothers you. So as we're walking today, beginning today into this process, for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to talk about allowing the Lord to transform our tongues as believers in Jesus Christ to help us be set apart from the culture and i want to start in first peter chapter three and i want you to listen to the contrast that peter draws for us now in your bulletins it says chapter three starting in verse 10 but i want you to back up to verse eight because i think it sets the table really well for us look at what it says finally all of you be like-minded and sympathetic love one another be compassionate and humble does that sound like a, a contrast to our culture right now I mean, we could could radically preach the gospel just in living that out. But verse 9, 
Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with what? Blessing. Here's the contrast. What's human nature? Repay evil with evil. Repay insult with insult. What does Peter call us to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. So it's not just being a blessing to others, but when we bless those who bring evil our way, Peter says that we inherit a blessing. And if it's not from the person who wishes evil towards us, where is it from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from him blessing our lives. Now he's going to quote Psalm 34. And I would encourage you this week in your own time with the Lord, go back to Psalm 34 because it builds on this idea of how our tongues can be a blessing. It starts with this idea of worshiping the Lord and extolling him. David says things like, my tongue will extol the Lord at all times. And he blesses all those things. Then he's going to move into what, for, what Peter quotes here in his letter. He says this, Whoever would love life and see good days. Every one of you said that that's you. You want to love life and see good days. Listen to what he says. Whoever loves life and sees good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Like that's the door. The door to loving life and to seeing good days is what? To keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good, and they must seek peace and pursue it. Now, I know as we read a verse like 11, we start to move in our thoughts more towards actions. But I want to challenge you, the context of what Peter is teaching and the context of what David was teaching in 34 is how we use our mouth. So when he says they must turn from evil and do good, he's talking about our mouth. And then he says they must seek peace and pursue it with our mouth. We should seek peace with our mouth. We should pursue peace with our mouth. Here's why, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's a good Hebrew way of talking about the Lord's favor is on you. He's walking with you. He's with you. He is empowering you. He's blessing you. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. Do you see the tie in there? That when we honor people and honor the Lord with our lips, He hears our prayers. His ears are attentive to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who do evil. So now I want us to turn just a couple pages in your Bible to the left, to the book right in front of 1 Peter. It's the book of James. And James was written... By the brother of Jesus, James was the son of Joseph and Mary. Jesus was the son of Mary and God Almighty. Uh, James did not believe in Jesus while Jesus was alive doing his ministry. He did not come to faith in Jesus until after the resurrection. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus appeared to James. We don't know what that was like, but whatever that conversation was, there was a radical transformation in James. And when that happens... James becomes one of the leaders of the early church, even though he wasn't one of the original 12. People are looking towards him because, hey, he's Jesus' brother, right? And as he grows in his authority, he begins to speak into the early church. And this letter that we have that represents the book of James, this is probably the first letter of the New Testament of all the New Testament books that was written. This is probably the earliest. So this is just a few years 
after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is just a few years after the events of the book of Acts. This is right at the beginning of the growth of the early church that James is writing this letter. And he'll start out his letter talking about all kinds of different topics. He talks about suffering. He talks about persecution. He talks about making sure we're listening to the word of God and doing what it says. Then chapter 2 is going to move in how we should interact with the poor and how we should treat people that are not wealthy and who don't have what we have. Then he moves into faith. And now the, the, the fourth topic on the line, the fourth topic in the letter, guess what? Our tongue. James chapter 3. And I, I want you to listen as I read this. And I want you to kind of put yourself out of the mentality of how we read Scripture a lot of times when it's not story form. Sometimes I think we read it as like a magazine or a newspaper. I want you to listen to the beauty and the visual that James builds into this passage. Let it just wash over you. Listen to this. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, uh, there are a couple verses in Scripture that me personally... Uh, that grab me by the throat every single time that I read them. And uh, this is one of them. Because it is this constant reminder that every time I stand in a pulpit, that my words have weight and meaning, and God will judge me in a different way than he judges you and anyone else. Not only that, but how I use my, my mouth outside of this pulpit has weight in the Lord's eyes. So I don't know what was going on in that community. Maybe there's a lot of people that were jumping up to teach Bible studies or small group or whatever. And James says, listen, I wouldn't rush to that. Like if God's called you to teach, go for it. But you, you better make sure you know what you're signing up for because we who teach will be judged more strictly. And look at what he moves into. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what he says is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. I mean, he's digging down now, isn't he? It corrupts the whole person. I'm sorry, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, that's a big deal. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. If you've got a pen in your hand, I would underline the first part of verse 8 because we're going to circle back to that. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Gosh, that is... Mm. Verse 9. Now here's where we get down to business. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
In other words, boy, on Sunday morning, we come in here and Melick stands here or William stands here and, and the band plays and boy, we, <clears throat> we throw it up, we throw it down, we sing it out. And he says, listen, that's appropriate, bringing worship to the Lord and singing his praises. And a lot of times we'll walk right out the door and before we can even get to McDonald's, we're saying things to our kids in the car that would just astound us in any other context. And the Lord says, should not be. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So as we talk together, and believe me, this is one of those sermons that as a pastor I'm preaching as much to myself as to anyone in any pew or watching online. As we talk about the importance of allowing the Lord to transform our tongues so that we can draw that contrast to what's happening in the world, I have some bad news for you. You, you need to hear the bad news first or you're never going to embrace God's ability to transform your tongue. So there are four commitments that the lead are to our healing. There are four commitments that we make in our heart and in our mind and understanding what happens with our tongue. We make four commitments in preparation for moving towards our healing. The first is this. Transformation of our tongue is one of the most difficult growth processes for any believer. It's one of the most difficult growth processes. So first of all, if you're under the sound of my voice, and maybe you've been under conviction about your mouth for years or weeks or months. Or maybe you're starting to get under conviction because of what I've been talking about this morning. I just want you to know you are absolutely not alone here. James says back in chapter, in chapter 3 verse 2, he says no human being can tame the tongue. Then he says if any of you is never at fault in what you say, you're a perfect man. Meaning, it's easier for you to control your body. It's easier for you to have self-control. It's easier for you to learn how to manage your money or how to tithe or how to serve in the church or how to deal with conflict. Those things are easier. That's all Christianity 101. Christianity 501 is learning how to tame your tongue. It is a difficult growth process for everybody. But it is one that's worth embracing. Second thing is this, second commitment your tongue has the power to devastate your life. It's not a joke. It's not like a bad habit like picking your nose or biting your fingernails or whatever. It's not just a, a dumb thing. Listen, your tongue has the ability to devastate and destroy your life. Some of you are still healing from things your father said to you at seven years old. And you're 57. Our tongues can devastate our lives. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost finances. Some of you have seen the destruction of your marriage because of what has been said to you or about you or that you have said. Our tongue can devastate our life, and we have to own that. We have to own that. Number three. You are not capable of taming your tongue. Wow, Pastor Matt, this is just an encouraging word this morning. 
You challenged us on our tongue, and then you told us there's nothing we can do about it. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing you can do about it. What I'm saying is you can't tame your tongue. You can't. James said no human being can tame the tongue. But praise God that we serve a God who does miraculous things, who does things that humans can't do. He does more in two minutes than humans can do in 200 years. That's our God. And so we don't leave a sermon like this challenged or condemned, thinking we can't change. No, you can change. You just can't change yourself. You just can't change yourself. You need the Holy Spirit of God to get a hold of your tongue. Because James says it is full of evil and poison, and if the Holy Spirit does not intervene, I'm going to inject that into somebody else. I've done it a thousand times. I've done it a thousand times. But we can't change. You just can't change on your own. And number four, a poisonous tongue is incompatible with pure worship. This is why we must change. A poisonous tongue is incompatible with pure worship. James says salt water and fresh water can't flow from the same spring. We would think that that would be ridiculous. But he says we, we praise God and we, we honor God and when we pray and when we sing and when we worship, but then we use the same tongue to curse men. He says that's incompatible. Worship, giving God worth, giving God our best, comes from our tongue as well. But it also comes with what we do out of this room, not just in this room, but outside of this room too. So let's talk about the road to transformation. I've given you all the bad news. I've given you all the bad news, okay? Let's talk about the road to transformation because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to put us on that road this morning. I think for some of us, he's already been putting you on that road. And, and this is just helping you along that, that, that highway there. The road to transformation is number one, ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation. Revelation is when God shows you something you did not know or you did not understand before he showed it to you. It's not something you can figure out on your own. God has to show it to you. In Greek, this means to uncover something. The idea is like something hidden behind a curtain. And you pull back the curtain and say, here it is. Only the Holy Spirit can give us revelation that will put us on the road to see our tongue transformed. Here is some of the revelation that he's been giving me lately. I'm, I'm becoming more and more hypersensitive to sarcasm and when someone is negative to me. It's really started to bother me. And boy, it started, it's bothered me, it bothered me. And for a couple days there, a couple weeks there, it, it just bothered me, it bothered me. And I was sitting down with the Lord one day and he said, you know, I'm allowing you to feel that because I want you to understand what it feels like when you're sarcastic and negative to someone else. Because until you feel what it does to somebody else, you'll never want to change. You need to feel it. You need to feel it. And you know what it has motivated me to do? It hasn't motivated me to go to someone and say, let's stop, stop being sarcastic with me. That's not what it motivated me to do. What it motivates me to do now is go to the Lord and say, you have got to get a hold of my tongue. Because if this makes my wife or my children or my neighbor feel like this, I have got to change. I've got to change. It starts with the Holy Spirit asking God to give us revelation. Second is this. We have to radically embrace our inability. You have to radically embrace 
your inability. If you're not convinced that you can't tame your tongue, you're going to keep trying to tame your tongue. And how is that going for you so far? How's that going? If we don't radically embrace our inability, then we'll never go to the Lord and say, listen, Lord, I need you. I want to be dependent on you because if not, I'm going to keep hurting people again and again. I need you. I need you. Number three, repetitively repent. Learn how to repetitively repent. There is a difference as a believer in Jesus Christ in confessing sin and repenting of sin. Every single time you confess a sin, the blood of Jesus covers that sin. That's scripture every single time. And that sin is forgiven. But if you want to be free of your sin, meaning there is a pattern of sin in your life and you want to see it broken, whether it's your tongue or whether it's anger or whether it's pornography or whatever else it is, if you want to be free of a habit, a sinful pattern again and again, you have to move beyond confession and move into a place of repentance. Repentance is different. It starts with confession, agreeing that what we do is wrong and asking for forgiveness, but then it moves into choosing to change our mind, allowing God to change our mind about that action, and then choosing to walk away from that action. It's actually, in the original language, repent is a military command. Some of you have been in the military. Do you understand when soldiers would walk in a direction, the sergeant would say, tin hut, and they'd walk in a certain direction, and he would say, halt, and they would stop. This is a military command. Repent is the idea of stopping and getting a command from a superior and turning and moving in another direction. That's repentance. It takes the command of a superior officer, and that's the Holy Spirit. Saying, you can't talk like that. Don't say that. Watch, watch that when you were that person. You know you're tempted there. And if you start moving in another direction under his power. Repetitive repentance. Why did I say repetitive? Shouldn't we just repent one time and it's good? No, because here's what the enemy's going to do. You go before the Lord and say, listen, I want to change. I want you to change my mouth, change my habit. And tomorrow when you blow it, the enemy's going to come in and say, see, there's no difference there. You know what happens when you do that? You just say, listen, Lord, I need to repent again. I want you to change my heart and mind again. And you keep going back to him until you start seeing fresh water come out of your mouth instead of salty water. And it'll take time. It will take time. But one day, you're going to be in a room full of people who are going to be tearing other people down. And for the first time in a long time, you're not going to be tempted to do that. You're going to say, man, I, I would have jumped, right, jumped right in on this. And you know, I, just, I just don't feel the need to do that. That's when you'll know the Holy Spirit has tamed my tongue. Man, that's when it gets good. So don't be discouraged. Don't let the, the father of lies come to you and discourage you on this road. This is a hard road to walk, but it's a good road. I mean, I want, I want to be a man who blesses people with my tongue. I want to bless my children, bless my wife. I want to bless my neighbors with my tongue. I don't want to curse anyone. I want to bless. Number four. If you want to walk the road of transformation, number four, you've got to own the damage done. You've got to own the damage done. So when the Holy Spirit starts to move in your heart and you realize, I've got to get a hold of my tongue, and you know the biggest victim of my tongue is, is my wife. Here's, here's the road to transformation. Go to your wife and say, listen, I'm sorry. 
in fact, go to her and say you're sorry without something directly that you need to apologize for. Go to her and say, the Holy Spirit's been working in my heart, and, and I'm a man who struggles with anger, and I say angry things when I'm angry, and you're the brunt of that, and I want to own that before you and say I'm sorry. And I want to tell you that I, I'm walking a road of transformation with that, and I'm probably going to stumble and blow it again, and please forgive me for that too, but I want you to know I want to change, and I want you to help me change. I want you to help me change. A couple weeks ago, I had to sit down with our staff, and I had to say, listen, I, I realize over the last couple of years, I've not used my tongue in a way among you that's been a blessing and not a curse. And there are times I'm sure I've hurt your feelings, and I didn't even know that. And what's interesting, we have a great relationship on our staff. I mean, I can't think of anyone I'd rather work with. There, I don't have many people in my life that are closer to me than our staff. But it wasn't about how the atmosphere was right now. I could see, I could see that I was having influence I didn't want to have with my tongue. The Holy Spirit had to take me to that place. And we got to do that too. We have to go and try to make it right when the Holy Spirit shows us damage that we've done. And number five, ask God to do his work even as you commit to do yours. I don't want you to walk out of here hearing, no man can tame the tongue, so I'm not going to do anything. That, that's not how it works. No man can tame the tongue apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, but when you invite the Holy Spirit in, then what he does is he empowers you to join him in his work of transforming your tongue. And it may be as simple as this. He may start to back up that little mental space you have where you think about something and then you say it, and he may give you more space to think about what you're about to say, and you get to say, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. Or right when you say something, you might have the courage to say, you know what? I, I should not have said that. I should not have said that. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Own it like right there. Don't own it two days later. Own it right there. Join him in his work while you do your work. And here's a, here's a, a verse that I think will help in this process. Psalm chapter 141, verse 3. And I encourage you to, to memorize scripture a lot, but this is a really simple one. This is a simple one. It's a very simple prayer, and it just says this. Set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. That's what the psalmist prayed to God. He said, I want you to set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips, meaning... There are going to be times my lips are going to want to say something. And, Lord, I just need you, I need you to put that hand. Just right, just, I need you to put your hand over it. And here's what will happen. You'll start to see him do it. You'll start to see someone react to you in anger and you ready to react back. And you'll feel him restrain you. And it never feels harsh. It always feels gentle. That's when I know it's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is restraining me, it always feels gentle in that moment, peaceful in that moment. I want better for you than that. I want better for you than that. So next couple of weeks, we're, we're just going to talk about handing ourselves over to allow our tongues to be transformed. And I just encourage you to make this a prayer process in your own heart, a prayer process in your family with your kids. Make it a prayer process of learning how to draw that contrast between how we naturally would use our tongue if the Lord didn't intervene and how he would want us to use it to be a blessing to others. Our praise team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a final song. And I just think this is a good opportunity for us to sit before the Lord and just allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on anything 
that, that we've heard today. And maybe he's going to bring an instance to you, something that happened maybe this morning or something that happened last week where you need to go to your spouse or your kid or whatever else it is and just say, you know what? I, I, I want to change. I want to be different than that. And for some of us, you have hated this part of your life, your entire life, but you felt powerless to change. I want to say something to you. You can change. You can change. The Holy Spirit can change you. If he can take the Apostle Paul, who was murdering Christians and making the greatest church planner in history, he can change your mouth. He can change you. But we have to obey and submit to that. So let's stand and pray. Our elders and their wives are going to spread themselves around the sanctuary. If you'd like to be able to pray with anyone, our altar is open. If you'd like to come at our altar and pray, this is a chance for us to do business with the Lord and allow him to talk and to speak to us in any way he leads. Let's stand together and let's sing and respond.